You're listening to a talk which is part of our Restore series. We hope this series will help people understand what it means to be a restorer and how this impacts our actions and attitudes when dealing with both the church and secular culture. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Hello. <laughs> hey. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I know, I feel like I just want to get us all shaken about a bit, you know, just kind of uh, get the bloodstream flowing. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get you jumping up and doing aerobics or anything like that. But um, tell you what, will you, just, just for a moment, just let's uh, call on God and, uh, yeah, yeah, Father, we are just absolutely thrilled to bits. I, I just can't believe how, how glad I am, God, that you are such a good God and you're so faithful. You love us so much, God, and, and we're just pleased. Father, we're pleased to be here in your presence together. God, you're, just, you're amazing. You're wonderful. Just, we, as we came out this morning, blue sky and sunshine and the earth just crying out and saying, Lord, creation, it praises you. Lord, and we just want to say, Father, we're, we're just pleased to bits to be part of everything that you've made. And, and Lord, here we are. We just want to receive your word. And Father, there's no way that any of this is going to either get given or received outside of your Holy Spirit. Father, we're just saying this morning, Holy Spirit, be here. Please just feel absolutely free to minister yourself to us. Lord, reveal Jesus to us. That's, Lord, all we want is just to see more of you. Father God, we are not just pleased that we know you, but, Lord, that you've called us and commissioned us. And, Father, we're, I, I don't know, I feel like pent up. There's a, there's a world out there that's just waiting for you, crying out for you, God. And the answer's right here in this room, and we just want to say, God, take us and oh, break us out into this world that we, we live in. And dear God, if, we, if we're honest, we have to say we love it. Oh, we love it. Father God, do something this morning. <laughs> I almost don't care what. I just want to say, do something, Lord. Do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God, he's good. Um, now, a rather strange title this morning. Uh, you may have seen it on the screen. Oh, it's there, look. Um, moving Beyond Offended. Strange combination, combination of words, isn't it? Um, but all this is inside this kind of theme that we've been developing over the last three weeks about restoration. And um, just to remind us, uh, week one, uh, Pete Topless was here. Those of you who know Pete. And he introduced us to God's grand plan for all things. His purpose is to bring everything into harmony with himself. And what he wants to do is to see the nature of God himself reproduced in absolutely everything that he has made in order to bring it to its completion. We're talking about the restoration of all things. 
I mean, this is amazing stuff. You know, the world is kind of going on around us, but this stuff is just incredible. And then, wonderfully, see you, mate. That plan includes you and me. And uh, when we became Christians, we also, we were enlisted as agents of God's restoration program. Uh, and if you remember two weeks ago, uh, Ben Cordy very helpfully explained how this happened. That by being transformed from within, we are being equipped individually and corporately to be able to put this wonderful Jesus out on display in the world. I mean, this story just gets better and better, doesn't it? And then last week, uh, Pat Gray was talking with us about how it's not just about us as individuals, but what God is doing is, is bringing, bringing to light somehow, making visible this restored and this restoring community that he's wanting to bring everything into as part of and share the goodness of it around in the world. There's a beauty to this message, this message that we've just been talking about, and it's this, that God himself, he created the all things. Uh, he made it, he loves it, and he's taken responsibility for it. And he is actually cleaning it up, even though it's not his own mess. And the good news is, we are part of the answer. Can we just, we could almost stop there, couldn't we, really? Isn't this just, yeah, I agree, I agree. Father, we just want to say thank you. Oh, do you know, the Bible talks about hope. This is our Christian hope. That's what we've been talking about. That everything is coming back into him, finding its proper place, being restored to real harmony, real unity, not stuff that's manufactured, but it's come out of his own heart, out of his own being. Um, can we have a little thing up, the next thing up there, Mark, please? Um, what I'd like us to do, just briefly around the table, you've got two minutes to do this, just to talk briefly together about one thing that has stayed with me from these restoration talks over the last two weeks. Okay? Go. Five, four, three, two, one, cut. Good. It's good, isn't it, to just chew things over, just to remind ourselves about what God's doing. Um, right, I'm going to move on. So far, so good. Uh, today's topic is probably going to take us into a minefield. Um, bring it on, <laughs> that's what I say. Uh, what I want to do is put some questions and some challenges to help us think about how we move beyond offended. Offended in, hello. Excuse me.
The little clips come off, mate. What will I do? Stick it in my pocket. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I want to help us to move beyond offended. This is in an age when uh, society seems bent on being in your face with its ungodliness. What happens when we start to get involved and we don't like what we find? How do we respond when we come up against beliefs and practices that differ from our own, especially when they are destructive? Um, you understand where I'm going with this? Yeah? We find ourselves coming up against things in the world that we really don't like, and which as Christians, we're, we're finding that a real challenge and really tough. Now, religious people are often easily offended. And to be offended means to be uh, scandalized or to be wounded by something. Uh, it conjures up ideas of outrage and shock, of being disgusted or sickened or being bruised and hurt or injured. Okay? I think we can perhaps relate to some of those kind of... If you like, they're almost involuntary emotions, aren't they, when we come up against stuff which we would badge as being offensive. Okay. Could we show this uh, short clip, please? And uh, many of you will recognise some of this. Another US embassy under attack. Protesters angry at a film insulting Islam tried to storm the compound in Yemen's capital, Sana'a. security forces fired into the air to try and disperse the crowds. At least one embassy vehicle was torched. I give you my life, O Prophet, reached the graffiti. Thousands of other protesters marched to the area. America the Prophet must not be insulted, they chant. We came in through the embassy gates and broke the door and we raised the flag of the messenger of Allah and if they repeat this, we will enter again until there are no ambassadors left in the Arab world. And protesters have been back on the streets of the Egyptian capital, Cairo. Egyptian security forces have sealed off the US embassy and fired tear gas to try and scatter rock for news. Anger over the film is growing across the Middle East and beyond. American flags were burned in the Iraqi capital, Baghdad, and there were demonstrations in the country's second city, Basra. The reaction was the same in Bangladesh, with angry protesters filling the streets of Dhaka. It has not even been proven that the director of the film is an American, but rumours have spread fast, and with them, anger that is becoming increasingly difficult to control. Charles Stratford, Al Jazeera. You remember seeing some of that footage in the news, yeah? Um, I want to make it clear. I'm not pleased. I'm not having a pop at, um, at Muslims. Um, I told you this was going to take me into a minefield, didn't I? But what you saw there, and you may, you know, probably sorting your own reactions out to seeing some of that stuff, uh, it's a confusing and a confused story. But what you saw 
are people who have been offended. Now, for many of us, um, we do not understand the strength of that reaction. True? Yeah? Um, and we think, wow, you know, but there seems to be something disproportionate about. But what happened, what you see are people, first of all, who've been offended, and their offence has been taken into an extreme reaction. Now, I'm not going to debate the merits or otherwise of what they're responding to. But think about this. For those of us who do not understand that strength of reaction, we are alienated by that kind of response. Would that be true? You know, we just find it, you know, kind of bizarre and weird. So there's one, one part of the world which is kind of alienated by it, but there's another significant part of the world who the, the offence, being offended in the way that they are, has actually distanced them from another part of the world who they see as being the cause of the offence. So do you see what's happening? You've got one part of the world that's being alienated and another part of the world that is, be, that is separating itself from this lot. Okay, now I'm, you know, that's a bit of a caricature. But you see what offence does. It alienates on the one hand because we don't understand and it separates because we can't really connect with the cause or the people who we feel are the cause of our offence. Now, let's bring that back home a little bit. If we are offended, the temptation is, one, to recoil under the pressure and retreat to the safety of our own religious world. So that, now, you know, just think a minute. Think about the things that the world throws at us that we might feel offended by. The temptation is, we can't deal with this, can't handle it, let's just back off. Let's not engage. That's one response. Another response is simply to look at the externals and allow a judgmental attitude to creep in and to distance us from those things which, or the people who we feel are behind the offence. Either way, we put a distance between ourselves and the world and we cut off the flow of grace that is coming to it. If I can just throw one other thought in here. Um, who was it who was bruised for our transgressions? Who was it that we learned from Isaiah was deemed smitten or struck on our behalf? Somebody has already taken the offence. Yeah? Let's be honest and say we find it really difficult sometimes to know how to respond. We reject the choices that people make or the values they stand for, but what do we do then? We've already said to recoil is not an option. Judgment somehow doesn't seem to fit, so what do we do? How do we move beyond offended 
to a place where we can effectively make a difference? How do we move beyond offended and come into our world as true restorers? And that's the kind of question we're facing. Hey, it sounds fun over there. <laughs> okay, first, we start with our way of seeing. And let me suggest a few ways of seeing. How we see people, how we see society, and how we see the Bible. If you follow me, you'll get this. Mark, could I have the first of those um, heads, please? Can you all read that? Can you see that from where you are? Yeah? Susan, can you see that? Yeah, good. Okay. Number one, we need to stop thinking of people as doing wrong things. Who, who need to be judged and see them as human beings who are lost and need to be restored. Number one. Number two. We have the second one, Mark. We need to stop thinking of society as if it were a modern-day version of Old Testament Israel with its one God and its its code of law and see it for what it is a Babylon with its many gods and its self-pleasing anything goes culture if you think about it there's this this picture this metaphor that runs all the way through scripture from Genesis to Revelation it's like an ark and it's Babylon and God is helping us to see something about what it is that we're in but we're not part of. Number three, we need to stop thinking of the Bible as a book of law that regulates behavior and see it as a book of covenants with a world that God loves. Now let, let me explain. I'm going to take each of those things one by one. Um, but theologically I realize I could be getting into some serious mess here because these are thoughts which actually challenge a lot of conventional Christian thinking. But I want to upend that because I believe so much it runs contrary to truly the revelation of Scripture. So let's take the first one. Let me explain. Number one, people. Think lost, not wrong. What we see around us is not the cause, but it's the result of man's sin. The corruption, the greed, the exploitation, the deceit, the prejudice is all because human beings are fundamentally broken. What we see in society, the poverty and inequality, the racism, the criminality, the traffic in human beings, the misuse and abuse of their bodies, 
abortion on an industrial scale, are all expressions of this rot at the core. There's um, a theologian whose name you may remember from a little while ago, the Reverend Dr. Giles Fraser. Um, he resigned last year as the Canon Chancellor from St. Paul's Cathedral. Do you remember there were the Occupy process that went on outside? And this was the guy who, he had a controversy with the cathedral because he, uh, he saw differently the way that they were being treated. But uh, he puts it like this, and I want you to listen to this. And I'm quoting him now. He says, Ever since the days of the early church, people have argued that Christianity is fundamentally about being good, a question of keeping the moral rules. Those who keep the rules go to heaven. Those who don't go to hell. But he, Giles Fraser, he goes on to contrast this view with that of historical faith, namely, and again I'm quoting, the central concern of Christianity is with salvation, not morality. The central concern of Christianity is with salvation, not morality. It's more about what man is rather than what man does. It's not so much about individual misdeeds, but about human beings being fundamentally broken. And even if we go back to like fourth century or whatever it was, according to Augustine, human beings need to be fixed. And this fixing is so profound that only God is capable of doing it. In other words, it's so far off the scale, you know, it's only God who can remedy man's fundamental condition. So, can we just ignore the bad stuff? Well, God has already acted. He has already acted. He has judged man's sin by nailing it to a cross. In other words, the offense of sin has been dealt with. God no longer relates with man on the basis of law. That's to say, keeping the rules. But he relates with man on the basis of the blood. If God no longer deals with society on the basis of offence, what about us? We know these familiar words from John 3, 16 and 17, and this is the message version. This is how much God loved the world. Excuse me if I don't get through this. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one, no one may be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble 
of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. <laughs> this is the gospel. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. So number one, stop thinking of people as doing wrong things. Think lost, not wrong. Okay, number two. Society, think Babylon, not Israel. And I'm, please hear, I'm not talking about modern day Israel, I'm talking about this Old Testament, um, this model that God portrays through Scripture of a nation that he was working with. The only way that society will be redeemed is from within. Not by the imposition of law, but by... Oh, excuse me if I just... Uh, take a moment to pause here. Society is only going to get redeemed, not from within, but by the indestructible life of Christ. There's nothing can beat it. He's, he has come through death. He's, he's put an end to absolutely everything that can resist the purpose of God. That's how society is going to get changed. And we are the evidence. Uh, Alan read to us earlier from Ephesians 2. I want to read it again, or at least part of it. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. We are the evidence of how God is redeeming society because it's happening and it's happened here. Now one of my favourite Bible characters is Daniel and uh, he, was, he was forcibly removed from his comfortable Jewish culture this was back in uh, BC. And he was exiled to the land of the Babylonians. And this, for him, was culture shock on stilts, I'm telling you. He was absolutely, you know, um, it was like fish and water, or not water, you know. He was taken out of what he knew into something that was so, so contrary. Now Babylon had everything going. This was the world power. Their empire extended throughout the known world. And they had this unusual practice of hoovering up all the 
um, the deities and religious practices of the lands that they conquered and they basically installed them back home. So you can imagine, it was just Woolworths, you know, it was pick and mix. You just could have what you like. Um, does that ever sound like somewhere else? Yeah? And Daniel was taken along with, uh, I like to think they were a bunch of his mates, but um, he was taken along with his mates and he was installed in the, the top dog university of the day. And there he was required to learn the language and the literature of the Babylonians. In other words, his, he was being immersed in the culture. He was being soaked in what it meant to be a Babylonian. He was being exposed to it big time. And worse still, at the other end, he had to take a flipping exam. No, seriously, he was tested on how much he'd imbibed Babylonian culture. And, do you know what? He did ten times better than anybody else. So, this guy really understood what it meant to be a Babylonian. But, wonderfully, he kept himself pure. Um, I love this bit. Um, later on, <laughs> he was actually appointed as uh, Grand Master of the uh, Royal Order of the Magicians, Wizards and Astrologers. Really. You know, all these blokes from, you know, Zoroastrianism and blah de blah and whatever. Who should we have as the, you know, big cheese? Daniel, you'll do. So, now that this stuff, it messes with our heads, doesn't it? It does, it does that if we're not thinking right about our society and the plan that God has got for it. But God took Daniel and he put him in the thick of it to influence that place for the kingdom. Now, I believe he's a prophetic type. Joseph's another one. You see him functioning in these caricatures of the world as we see it today, but God raised them up as men, and let me say, I've, you know, it's, again, it's not a gender thing, but the people of God, I believe, have a place in our society to influence it because they've not compromised, but they know they're in there. <clears throat> have you ever thought about Jesus? Uh, have you ever thought about Jesus? Uh, uh, now, this was intended as an insult by the, uh, the religious dudes of his day, uh, but they called him a, a friend of sinners. Now, that, that wasn't nicey-nicey. They weren't saying, oh, isn't he, isn't he cute? They were actually meaning this guy is badly offending our law because he's associating with sinners. Why was that? Well, he'd hang out with them. The prostitutes, the thieves and vagabonds, the extortionists, the racketeers. Not so that he could be like them, but so that they could be transformed by his life. Remember Zacchaeus, 
Today I'm, I'm coming to your house. What, what happened? Transformation. Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this house. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Okay, so number two. When we think about society, think Babylon, not, not Israel. Number three, the Bible. Think new covenant, not law. Um, now, again, religious people, legalistic people have a problem with this. But if we try and apply the Bible to the world as if it were a book of rules for human society and behaviour, uh, I'll tell you now, we're all stuffed. As if the old law was not demanding enough, when Jesus came, it just got worse. For this reason, he raised the bar impossibly high. So before we think about judging anybody, turn the focus around and ask yourself, is there any way, any way, that I measure up to that standard? We have absolutely no ground. Again, thanks, Alan, for reading that this morning. It was by grace that we were saved, through faith, that none of us, none of us should boast. Rather, let's understand the Bible as a record of God's chesed. His, this is a Hebrew word. It means his unending compassion his mercy and generosity towards mankind, his strength, steadfastness and love that's all summed up in that word grace. He has made covenant and he will not go back on it. Ever since the beginning, God has been in covenant with mankind. And even when we blew it, God stepped in and a man came the man Jesus. He is the new covenant. We have come into Christ. We are the new covenant. If you don't believe me, it's in the Bible. So, I want us to do, I want us to capture the spirit of Bible revelation and not just treat it as a rule book that no one, including us, can keep. So, three things there. Um, what I'm going to do is just ask us to do a little bit more table talk for five minutes. Um, I want you to pick any one of those three things and ask this question. How might it help us to think differently about people or our world? And when you're doing it, I want you to be prepared to talk about actual situations uh, and particularly where you don't have the answers. 
You know, things that you face, things that confront you, things that do mess with your head. But just try and think, how does one of these things, how might it help us to start to refocus and think differently? Does that make some sense? Yeah? Okay. We'll just give you a few minutes, five minutes. Let's see how we get on with it. Then we're nearly through. Let's throw this in, please. Uh, what we've done so far um, is just talk about three ways of seeing uh, that help us to approach our society, what I would call redemptively. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to the end, but what I want to do just is quickly give us three, three things that we can do to move beyond offended. Okay. Number one, keep our own stable clean. Keep our own stable clean. And I'm not talking about your bedroom. Now, we're all, we're all in this sense, we're all gatekeepers to our own soul and our own household. If you read in the first chapter of Joshua, you, hear, you see there how the nation, as it entered the Promised Land, it did not drive out the nations, the Canaanites, as God had instructed them. And what was the significance of this? Well, those nations became thorns in the side of the people of God, and their gods became a snare to them. And the result is, um, is poignant, really, because the next generation ended up serving those gods. So the first generation didn't clear them out. The second generation yielded to them. Now, there's a message in that, that these things, they have a generational impact. If we do not act as gatekeepers in our own house and our own household, we're storing up trouble, not just for ourselves, it's not just a snare for us, but for subsequent generations. You remember, it's the same word that occurs in um, the beginning of Hebrews uh, about dealing with the snares. It says, therefore, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Remember Daniel, he kept himself pure. So let's, let's be clear about that. We're not talking about compromise. But let's be quite the opposite. Let's be absolutely clean. The second thing, to help us move beyond offended, to engage with a world that so badly needs this gospel, remember, remember, remember you were like that once. Again, Ephesians 2. Uh, memory is a powerful antidote to any shred of pri pride or superiority. The way that we lived, the world lives, we did what the world does, we thought like the world thinks, blinded by the spiritual forces that are at work and opposed to God. We were led by the nose, by our sin-rooted desires and thoughts. You were a complete no-hoper. Separate from the covenants, adrift in the world, but God. 
but God saved you in order to put on display his incomparable grace. He created us to do good stuff, prepared ahead of time to be part of his redemptive purpose. But now. So, number one, keep your own stable clean. Number two, remember, you were like that once. Paul says it somewhere else, isn't he, in 1 Corinthians. For such were some of you. When he's talking about the thieves, idolaters, liars, homosexuals, you know, he said, such were some of you. Number three, love people. Love people. Do not let their lifestyle or their ungodly attitude be a barrier. How in the world are people going to encounter the love of God if we sit in judgment on them? We can only be offended by those we do not or are unwilling to love. Who we keep at a distance, who we've depersonalized and bunched as a group. That's quite a powerful thing, isn't it? We bracket people together and we say, well, they're all like this. But actually, everyone is a human being. Everyone has a story. Everyone has got something in here where eternity is ticking away. Think of our own children. They make bad decisions, they mess up, but we don't get offended. Rather, we feel that complex love that is angered by the folly that sees the brokenness and is moved to rescue them. So, number one, keep our own stable clean. Two, remember. We were like that once. Number three, love people. Uh, last week, um, I was in, um, I was in uh, Bradford at a place where um, it, was, it was bright and airy. There were um, some nice big round dinner tables around there. There was some sofas and, you know, the smell of food was sort of wafting over the, in the air. Um, it's lunchtime, isn't it? It's getting on that way. Um, and it was being prepared by some volunteers at a you know, purpose-built uh, kitchen area. <clears throat> and over the next two hours, they were expecting a number of people to come through. Some of them, uh, young men who um, you know, were getting themselves back on their feet. Um, often, you know, they come from a background of drug or alcohol abuse or something like that. Uh, some of them were women, um, battered, um, you know, just running out of hope. Some of them, you know, into prostitution, desperate about their own lives and that of their kids. <clears throat> and um, these people were coming. But what they knew was they were coming into an environment where they were not going to be judged. That somebody was going to sit down and do that very leveling thing of eating with them. And they knew that they were going to be listened to uh, with respect. That somebody was actually accepting them for who they were. And that they were, um, in being listened to, people were actually there to help them find a way through 
and, you know, with support if that was needed. <coughs> that would never happen, would never have happened um, if any of those people were being offended. The people who were volunteering, how could they possibly have did what they did if offence was the barrier? So, in order to be restorers in our world, in our society, we as the people of God, big time, have to move beyond offended. Amen? Let's pray, can we? Father, first of all, we just have to say an enormous thank you for the fact that you, Lord, have stepped in. Lord, you loved us when we were unlovable. Lord, your grace has covered our sin. You've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you've cleaned us up. You've given us a new heart. You've established us as sons and daughters in the kingdom, full access rights to the Father. God, how we say thank you. It was all grace. And Father, we, we just say, Lord, please, just whether you continue to work your grace in our heart so that we can move into and amongst people in society without offence, knowing the offence has already been carried. Father, that we see beyond the externals, we see beyond the sin, and Lord, we see the person. We see the humanity that you died for. Father, we pray that you would give us ability by the Holy Spirit supernaturally to love people. And God, we're asking that we as a company, corporately together, may be truly a restoring community. Father, we realize that we're going to be challenged on this. We're going to see people coming through who really do upset our norms, our values, our lifestyle. But God, we want to say, for your sake, we want to be available. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>